0: joined tonight by tim i add small numbers together cox
1: yeah, i was hoping you would say illustrious somewhere in there
0: <laughs> uh no no uh notorious potentially but illustrious unlikely
1: i'll take notorious that's uh <laughs> a lot of street cred
0: Adding small numbers related to tonight's topic, though not uh, directly, just more of a uh, hearkening back to our previous podcasts. But tonight we're going to be talking about economics, and this will be the basics of economics. So we're going to talk about a lot of the aspects. Economics is a huge field, a lot of things to discuss, but we're going to just obviously touch on a few of the important points. So economics, first of all, is a, a science that studies production, uh, consumption, distribution, um, of you know all of the things uh, of services and goods. And so that's, um, uh, economics involves all of the parts of a, uh, a working economy. So let's talk a little bit about some of the basic things that people know about in the, co- the economy. So the economy of, of a particular country or of the world is measured in a lot of different ways, right? You can imagine that if you're trying to uh, to come up with a definition, a working definition for uh, someone that doesn't have any experience with what the word economy means, you just talk about what uh, you know your local grocery store, where you have uh, things uh, that uh, goods that people want to come and buy. And so there needs to be a, an exchange of money. The, the store needs to provide the uh, goods and the consumer needs to go be able to procure those goods and exchange uh, some type of uh, value in, in the process that the, the store will uh, be able to use in, in the future. So, Tim, what is, could you do, give us a, a, your understanding of what the gross domestic product is?
1: Well, it's not
0: disgusting, it, um, <laughs> but it's gross.
1: I believe this is gross in terms of like the old German meaning of gross, right? When, doesn't that You speak a Germanic language that's not English. Doesn't gross mean like big? or
0: Big, yeah. I mean, that's in, in, in German. Yes, that's correct. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I, gross in this case in the way that like you talk about your gross income, right? There the you go. The whole thing, the whole picture. Yeah. So, so we're looking so, at...
1: Yeah, yeah gross domestic product would be all the value of all the goods and services that a, a nation's populace produces before subtracting for you know I don't know stuff,
0: right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's it's literally just a measure of all of the things produced, all goods and services produced in the country. Um, and so uh, that's a big. Number to come up with, they have lots of different uh, ways that they aggregate data and 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 try to you know estimate and actually come up with hard numbers for for what a you know what a country's uh, GDP is. Um, but there are issues with gross domestic products. So you can imagine goods and services are uh, besides the the kind of inherent difficulty of aggregating those numbers. Um, it's also the case that um, gross domestic product is just measuring the production. There are other things involved um, in the economy beyond just um, the production of, uh, of a good or, or service. Um, for example, so GDP, if, if a big hurricane comes and destroys part of a, of, a, of a state in the United States, it could be seen as a positive for GDP. Because then more services and goods are going to be needed, and, and uh, you know, it, it, depending on you know, obviously if it hits a factory and it knocks knocks that out of service, maybe maybe it has a, a deleterious effect on that uh, means bad <laughs> on the GDP. But you can imagine that it could have a positive effect. So there there are lots of influences that go into what, uh, what happens to a country's uh, gross domestic product. Um, and so there've been people that have tried to come up with other, uh, ways to measure it. I've, uh, heard of um let's see it's called the human development index combined statistic of education and life expectancy and in uh, per capita income um so you, you, there are lots of things you could take into consideration uh, for a kind of more holistic picture of how economy an economy is doing versus just what what rate is the gross domestic product growing you know how, how many more goods and services are we creating versus are these getting distributed across the um the the society well and efficiently um so there there's uh lots of discussion to be had about that but for for the basics of economics understanding that gdp is just a way to, to measure one way to measure the health of uh a of your your economy for your country or the economics of goods and services that are being uh, created and distributed, Um, that's what the GDP is there for. And you hear that a lot on the news, the discussion of how the GDP is doing and what the growth is for a particular uh, quarter. Along with GDP, I want to get a couple of formulas as well. I know that uh, GDP, we can discuss generic terms, which is what we're good good at as layman, but for uh, just some economics uh, theory I guess there's uh, some actual mathematic formulas that they run uh, some of these numbers through. so, so GDP is uh, defined as uh, C plus G plus I plus nX where C is the consumption of uh, good you know of consumption of consumers obviously uh, G is the government expenditures so the money that the government uh, puts in uh, investment is I uh, and the net exports are NX. So, that's C, G, I, C plus G plus I plus NX equals GDP. So, that's when we say all goods and services produced by the economy. That's actually the formula for GDP. Um, and uh, there are also uh, other economic formulas I wanted to hit on before we move on to a a few other things so uh, unemployment rate is one we hear about a lot that one seems pretty intuitive you can say total number of unemployed over the total number of employed individuals Um, the money multiplier rate and this isn't one I have heard of a lot I just in uh, doing research for this I saw it's uh, essentially it's one over the reserve ratio Uh, it's defined so the inverse of the uh, reserve ratio maintained by the bank so Um, It says it helps in the assessment of how money deposits can be utilized to enhance the supply of money in the system. So uh, just a a metric that I guess the layman doesn't have really a lot of interest in, but you might hear it on some economics uh, reports. Um, Then there's something called the real GDP. Uh, It's a ratio of a nominal GDP, and that's the first uh, uh, formula I gave you versus the GDP deflator. and it says the real gdp is instrumental in the computation and assessment of economic output along with adjustment for deflation or inflation so it's trying to take deflation and inflation into account for gdp numbers and uh, that formula that we i just listed so uh, real gdp is a gdp on that uh, the for the, for, uh, the result of that first nominal gdp formula over the deflator um, uh, and so the deflator is like I said it's a measure of inflation or deflation and there's another formula for that so let me just a, a couple more consumer price index I know you hear this one sometimes I've heard it a lot uh, and not been entirely sure what it means so it's the cost of products and services for a given year over the cost of products and services for a baseline year um, and that baseline year I'm sure is is determined uh, in a specific way, but so let's say you pick 2019 uh, as your baseline year and not 2020, these are the things that happened. Uh, and then you want to know what the price uh, index, the consumer price index is, you do the cost of products and services for this year over 2019's uh, cost of products and services. And, uh, and that would be your consumer price index. Um, and It says it helps in comparison of price and products and services along with the changes in the levels of inflation. And then we get to the inflation rate. Inflation rate is uh, changes uh, in the consumer price index levels over the levels of uh, uh, consumer price index for last year uh, multiplied by 100. Um, And then the final one, well, let's see, two more I wanted to hit. Real. real interest rate and so we talked well and we'll talk more later in the podcast about interest rates but um, it says the real interest rate is determined uh, as the difference of the nominal interest rate and inflation rates uh, or something you Fisher's equation which I'm not familiar with um, but uh, essentially it's the, the interest rate that you normally hear of the Fed which we'll talk about later um, in, in nominal terms uh, minus the rate of anticipated inflation. And so, if, you know, if money is inflating and the interest rate is um, set at, you know, one and a half or, you know, uh, one, then you can imagine that the real interest rate is lower than that because anticipate and uh, inflation is essentially taking away from that real, from. from the real interest rate. And the last one is a quantity theory of money. So this is um, described as a direct relationship with the money levels with the output levels. So this is essentially just a way to measure what's going on with, with money in, uh, in the economy and so supply of money. So the, the formula is MV equals PT and MV. So M stands for the supply of money. Um, V is the circulation or speed the money is expressed. So M times V equals the mean level of prices as expressed as P. So P is, um, you know, a kind of a, a price index. Uh, and then T is transaction volume of services and goods. So PT, uh, P times T equals uh, M times V. And so that um, describes the, this theory of money and how money is flowing in the economy. But, yeah, the the... the... Uh, economics uh, involves certainly discussions also of government systems. Uh, and so, Tim, right before the the um, podcast, we were talking a little bit about different gov- gov- uh, government systems um, that are uh, that affect obviously how an economy works. Um, the, we're in the United States. Uh, can you give us kind of a, uh, a very succinct definition of what capitalism is?
1: Yes, well, and that's a anymore it's a, a subject of debate. Um, but I think actually if we set aside the polemics and look at the you know the actual textbook definition of capitalism, I think we would probably all agree on a basic understanding of what capitalism is and some of its benefits. Um, capitalism is also known or commonly equated with free market economy. And um, it goes back to it um, associated with Adam Smith's invisible hand concept, the idea that the market is kind of left to do its own thing, and it finds equilibrium in in how much um, how much uh, supply of this product or that service to create and what price to assign to those things. The the invisible hand is kind of a metaphor as if there is this invisible hand dictating what the cost of socks should be and how much gas should be pumped out and, and so forth. And in theory, the idea is that and actually we see this in practice for a lot of things. It's not always perfect, but um, generally speaking, um, we see this working is um, the, the supply of a certain object or product or, or service um, that rises and falls to meet the demand for those objects, products or services. And um, and the price kind of gets to the sweet spot to match. Right. That's uh, in theory how, how it's supposed
0: to go. So you can imagine going back to that example of a grocery store. That's one that obviously we all have. We go down to the store. If the store were suddenly charging a hundred dollars per potato, for example, um, the demand would drop precipitously, right? Nobody likes that potatoes a lot, that. <laughs> uh, right? So you can't arbitrarily name a, a, a price for a a good or uh, that that is not uh now it, we could talk a little bit later about you know necessary goods and services like healthcare those types of things that are that kind of kind of cause some wrinkles and, and potentially issues and arguments about uh the the morality of the, of economics and and the free market but uh but for a potato which nobody actually needs to survive um you can't charge some arbitrary number right you can't say oh it's $100 no one's going to pay that well it,
1: as it turns out you can arbitrarily set prices you can also arbitrarily uh, set supply levels uh, in That's, a uh, planned economy i guess we'll
0: get to that in a minute huh right exactly right right so in, in the in free, free market, market economy, in the yes. free market economy if this grocery store that i'm going to says that potato is $100 i say no thank you uh, and I walk out and I go to a different store and they have a different price, uh, you know, more uh, in line with what the demand is, what the supply is, and therefore I buy from that store instead. Um, and so uh, in, in a grocery store, uh, they have to uh, measure the demand of the the, uh, the goods versus the supply that they're getting and uh, versus what people actually pay, you know, the, the – uh, no. And
1: and the one exception to this rule is if you can successfully do what they call corner the market. That's where if you can gain control over the entire supply of potatoes, then all of a sudden you can set the price you want because you're the only potato in town. Uh, This actually did happen uh, once, not with potatoes, but with onions, of all things, um, where a man uh, successfully cornered the market on onions. And um, I'm, I can't remember the story exactly, so I'm going to have to. Um, oh, the Great Onion Corner. <laughs> so this guy actually um, managed to successfully corner the market on onions, and I think he made quite a mint. It was 1955. Um, so, anyways, if you if you want, you can look up, you know, onions corner of the market and. And read the story. But, yeah, basically, this guy managed to um, corner the onion market. He made $8.5 million in 1955. Um, So but uh, as you can imagine, it's uh, awfully tricky to corner the market. Sure. Um, Right.
0: Sorry. Oh, sorry. No, that's all.
1: So okay. go buy money.
0: An uh. <laughs> as long as they're not, uh, as, not uh, as long as no one's cornered the market again. Uh, a, a related idea to a, uh, cornering the market is a monopoly. Uh, mm. And so if, uh, if let's say, the grocery store that I go down to doesn't have a corner on. Uh, uh, well, monopoly is the idea that that, let's say, every grocery store in town is run by the same man or the same woman. And they, you know, they all set. Uh, so therefore, they have a monopoly of all that business. Every grocery store is controlled by the same company, and therefore, they have they cornered the market in that way, right? Um, they've uh, now they uh, they can set the price to be whatever it wants. Um, and so, the idea of a monopoly, not the board game, which is also maddening in a different way. Um, <laughs> Uh side note it almost uh made me not get married. Um so I don't recommend playing Monopoly. <laughs> Sounds uh, like a fun story. <laughs> it didn't it didn't start well and didn't end well. I mean you're there was me, a you're
1: telling me Monopoly made you low in demand. <laughs>
0: uh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, OK, back to economics and monopolies and, and cornering the markets. So the idea, once again, obviously coming back all the way to capitalism and free markets, which uh, there probably are some nuanced differences between a free market and capitalism, but we're not going to deal with that specifically in this podcast. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, that that the, I the supply demand um, and uh, and consumer um, ability to uh, to pay all influence the um uh the amount of money that you can charge for something and these things all like tim said uh, find equilibrium so um we'll talk about a couple of the other government systems that that help regulate economies and how what the effects are on on different economic systems in just a minute but i wanted to talk about um a few of the free market principles so uh tim we started talking before the podcast about a few of these free market principles and you were going to uh let us uh give us some insight into what supply and demand are and how they uh play off each other all right
1: supply and demand so if you uh take an economics class you will definitely see a chart with um about supply and demand and it'll have quantity on the bottom on the x-axis and then price on the top on the on the uh y-axis and then it'll have two lines a supply line and a demand line and i um i won't be able to explain all the nuance of this very well so i'm just going to go super basic because that's i think all i'm qualified to do um the idea is as the demand for an object goes rises the price for it rises um i'll take an example that i like to use um a, let's say a hurricane is about to hit uh texas um all of a sudden there is super high demand for duct tape and uh, plywood and uh, so um there, there's kind of a run on on these stores and the supply starts to go down we, we well the, the demand goes up and um, pretty soon, anyone who's got a roll of duct tape and some two by fours, you know, they, they can command a, a high price on those things because the demand is so high that the value of it rises. The And, and so that invisible hand we talk about in, in a free market, because the demand is higher, the price goes up to match that demand again seeking that equilibrium point where the demand matches the supply and when you have found the price where that happens that's the equilibrium point
0: yeah and you uh, a a real world case that people have seen recently uh, certainly in the united states and i think this happened some degree globally um everyone ran out of toilet paper uh here in the united states uh (laughs) back uh, here a year and a half ago when the pandemic hit and I I read about it. There were articles about it. I still don't necessarily understand everything because the demand for toilet paper is pretty constant. You could imagine, you know, th- those things are uh, really should be pretty proportional to the amount of people that exist um, in the country for obvious reasons. And, however, when the stocking up for a unknown event, People can go a little crazy, and so all of a sudden you had the demand, a demand spike. And from what I read, uh, there were also supply chain issues. Maybe Tim, you were going to mention some supply chain uh, related things, but uh, the, you know there were those types of things caused you could buy you could buy a roll of toilet paper a set uh, of toilet paper online for like you know fifty dollars all of a sudden the price became just exorbitant when we're we're talking about something that generally you'd be able to walk down to the grocery store and get it for you know two fifty or you know two dollars fifty cents or something like that so uh so those things do happen where all of a sudden demand severely outpaces supply and therefore prices uh, jump. Um, and and there are lots of different reasons and a, a pandemic uh, is just one of them yeah
1: yeah and and so there's always that ebb and flow but the the bottom line is in a, in a free market economy you're, um, yeah your, your prices will vary uh, and another good way to watch this too is uh, oil prices and gas prices. There's even a, a seasonal, rise and fall of gas prices. You'll always see gas prices tend to go up in the summer. Um, and part of that is, is because there's a, a greater demand for gas as, as people are driving long distances and, and, you know, doing, you know, some summer, summer stuff. Um, so the, the price rises in the summer um, you could, and, and sometimes people do get angry with, um, with suppliers you know, accused of gouging and that kind of thing, um, but uh, I, we we have to keep in mind that th- this is just part of how economics works. Once when demand is up, um, the the price is going to rise, and and it's actually necessary. Um, we we and Darna, I guess we'll talk about this more when we when we talk about command um, s- type economies. But when, so for example, uh, th- this example isn't mine. I can't remember where I heard it, but it's a good one. The the duct tape and the hurricane example. Let's say um, there's outrage as the price for duct tape goes up in Houston as people are trying to batten the hatches for the incoming hurricane. So there's outrage. Um, the cost of duct tape has tripled, and uh, accusations of price gouging. How can you? How dare you? You know, raise the price on duct tape when people need it. And everyone wants it. And so the, the government um, artificially suppresses the price of duct tape and says, no, no, we're going to limit the, the cost of duct tape. Suppliers cannot charge more than such and such price for duct tape. Um, well, what what happens is as the um, as the the uh, price stays artificially low for that product, the supply will also stay low. Because um, there's not as much um, there's there's no signal in the market to produce more duct tape. Why would suppliers waste their time producing more duct tape um, when they can't uh, you know, meet the um, when it's not going to worth their time as much? Now, go back to the price gouging situation when when duct tape is is valued at and selling at three times its price, well, all of a sudden, not only the, the suppliers in the Houston area, but now suppliers farther afield say, aha, there's a, I can get more return on my duct tape if I ship it over to Houston. Um, if uh, if that gouging price isn't there, then that signal doesn't go out and people in Austin and, and uh, Fort Worth aren't going to waste their money to spend the gas cost to to ship the duct tape to Houston because they can sell it at a better price and in their own towns. So that's an example of how um, the invisible hand works and how something as counterintuitive as price gouging um, or so-called can actually help in the long run. That said, uh, there are some some faults in in the free market economy no, you lie <laughs> yeah, that's right that's what they want you to think
0: <laughs> it's impossible uh,
1: because we see in this very example we we see that unfortunately the the most um the the richest people will have the most access to an in-demand product while the poor will be left wanting and so that that is a real concern with the free market so i i'm a, I'm a fan of free markets um, and I, I believe that market economies are the best economy by far for everyone. Uh, but I do recognize that we sometimes run into problems and, and it's a sticky situation. Uh, what do you do, um, when, uh, when the poor are being left behind in
0: in a market economy? So, yeah, distribution th- of, of wealth and, and the, 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 the availability of, uh, goods and services to, yeah, uh, People across the uh, you know, the spectrum, as far as uh, those that are poor, those who are rich, is is a difficult problem to solve. And and, and historically, um, the free market has been the most effective in uh, raising the standard of living for all uh, across the board. Right. So the rich do get richer, uh, and uh you know the, the numbers in the united states are, are and 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 a few other countries but are pretty astounding as far as how much of the wealth it's something like 75 percent of the wealth is con- uh, controlled by 10 percent of the uh population um and so that's astounding and sounds entirely concerning and it is to some degree um it is also the case however that uh the 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 poor in the society or the middle class in the society uh, in a free market society uh have uh, both access and ability to move their income up higher uh, by starting their own companies, starting seeing a hole in supply and demand or a or need that is not being adequately filled and they're fulfilling it and, and being able to uh, reap the benefits. Um, and, uh, and it's also the case that rich people that have the incentive to become more rich uh, have uh, therefore uh, reason to in, to use their money to create more goods and services, uh, therefore making that stuff available to um, the, the, the less economically, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Tim? Um, uh, advantaged? Sure. <laughs> yes, that that'll work. be what we will go with. Um, so, you know, even the poor and the middle class people are actually benefiting by more, you know, if I can go to the, store and buy a, uh, at the grocery store, buy a whole cartload of groceries for $50 in the free market. Even if I'm, um, uh, you know, if I look next door and, and he's got uh, a pool, two slides, uh, five cars and whatever else. And I say, well, this isn't fair. That's true. And there's something to be said about that. And then we can, we'll talk a little bit about potential, um, issues with, uh, with what, how uh, economies can become lopsided like that, but um, the the point is that if the goods that I need are cheaper because th- this free market system exists, uh, it does benefit society as a whole. So, like I said, there there are trade-offs and there are things uh, that that we need to talk about as far as uh, you know different uh, ways to deal with uh, re- government regulation, taxes, interest rates. Um, minimum wage, all those different things that would try to uh, not stifle the free market but also make sure the distribution of wealth is happening in such a way that people are not uh, some people are not uh, starving while others are glutting themselves on potatoes, if you will. (laughs) But those Uh, really
1: nice uh, hipster potatoes. I've had some very good
0: potatoes in my day. Does that mean that I'm doing quite well i don't know more potatoes (laughs) Uh, we've uh, lost the the thread here okay so um free market we talked about free market so the opposite of free market and a few of the things we've already started talking about are are, well not the opposite but part of um the government's role uh, in in economy is is then free market regulation right or how they're going to regulate the economy so the free market yeah. is a particular economic system um, that governments can employ to be able to handle the economy. But in most cases that I'm aware of across the world, free markets are, are regulated by the government in, in particular ways um, in order to deal with either supply and demand issues, scarcity issues, um, uh, cost-benefit issues. So, um Let's talk a little bit about – so I guess we we left some free market principles hanging there. So there's scarcity. So Tim told us about supply and demand. Scarcity is just the availability of some things, not necessarily – it's related to supply and demand for sure, but also just you know there's only so much gold in the world, right? So independent of of supply. um, I just
1: read recently that all of the gold that's been harvested or
0: or mined in the world in
1: the whole history of mankind – could fill uh, only three Olympic pools, mm. which is quite a bit of gold. But when you consider uh-huh. how much iron, ore, and copper we've, you know, sure. to build, you know, thousands of cities around the world, anyways, right. that's uh, quite scarce.
0: Right, right. So scarcity is, is an important part of this. So um, if, if a particular resource is, is scarce, then it's going to be worth more. Obviously, that's going to affect supply. Um, but that's one of the free market principles is is scarcity. there is uh, cost and benefit. so this is related to the so cost and benefits related to the theory of of rational choice. Uh, people behave rationally that means they try to maximize the ratio of benefits to uh, to costs in their decisions so um this gives us, so this thing I'm looking at here gives us example of if, if demand for beer is high, breweries will hire more employees to make more beer. Uh, but if the price of beer and the amount of beer they're selling justify the uh, costs, that's the only way they'll do that, right? Um, so there, people are just generally making the decision of, uh, you know, if I can justify the cost uh, because of uh, the increased benefit, that's uh, an economic principle here. So, that's related to the idea that, okay, I'm going to start a company um, that's going to cost me, I'm going to hire a few people, that's going to cost me money. So, I know that that's there, but what's the potential benefit? Well, if I'm hiring some salespeople, some engineers, I'm going to create a product, and my benefit's going to be a significant um, amount of, you know, potentially profit. So, as a side note,
1: related to cost, that's incidentally why. Interest rates are are so important, and availability of credit. Um, so when when businesses are looking to um, to to spend on those costs to expand and to provide more goods and services and to hire more people and so forth, um, oftentimes they will do so with credit by borrowing money. Um, the idea being that I you know if I borrow money to build this factory today then the factory will start producing and i will get a return on my investment and so forth but when um interest rates are high or when credit is tight when banks and lenders are are less uh, inclined to lend and cr- there's a credit crunch then um it's a it's a, a hold up in a different kind of, of supply in the supply of well i guess capital but um the you know the 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 funds the credit funds to to do these things, and it slows economic growth. so the um the, the federal government, another way they they function in a regulatory role is by setting interest rates. And so you've probably heard in the news, um, you, you hear chatter about what the Fed is um, is doing with interest rates are they are they raising them? are they lowering them? and in in di- times of of um, economic, Contraction, like a recession, um, like we just went through, one of the regulatory responses of government is to lower interest rates, the, thereby loosening credit and making it easier for businesses to um, to get money for for whatever reason, and, and to keep keep uh, growth from dropping too much. Um, If an economy is growing too fast, which seems counterintuitive, but that's a thing, um, there are other problems. And so the federal government will, in a regulatory role, raise interest rates in order to slow things down a bit and keep it from what they call overheating. Anyways, sorry for that side tangent. No, no, no. That's
0: yeah. This is we're trying to tie a lot of threads here together. But yeah, I had started talking about yeah ways that the government has uh, can influence and regulate the free market, and so I was still talking about free market principles. But like you just said, regulation, uh, government regulation is certainly um, part of the discussion here, right? Economics is uh, very much the butterfly effect in economics when you've got the uh, butterfly flapping its wings in Brazil causes a tornado in Oklahoma. Um, you know, it's uh, the case that one uh, one change to a particular system has uh, a lot of effects in, in the economy. So you can imagine something big like a pandemic, like we uh, have and are experiencing, has massive effects globally uh, because it's not a butterfly. It's a... Um, it's mothra. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, it's uh, Way uh, bigger than any particular bird species that I can think of. Um, tarantulas don't fly. Well, I was thinking of pterodactyls, but that starts with a P, so it wasn't quite filed away in the same. Um, We've lost the thread, Carl. We've haven't lost we? the thread. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, very interconnected. So, regulation does uh, affect um, obviously different free market principles because all of these, uh, in an entirely free market system, um, you know, these unexpected events uh, are not, um, it's hard to control for them. That's when you get something like a, a Great Depression, right? Um, mm-hmm. Though some would argue the flip, right? That too much government regulation causes recessions and depressions. So there's, there's a lot of um, gray areas in economics, from what I understand. I actually sat once um, years ago, in I uh, was in Washington, D.C., with a few students from Georgetown University. One was an economics uh, major, and he was just, uh, explaining to me why the national debt is not relevant, doesn't matter. Um, and I'm not an economics major and I don't, I uh, can't necessarily, uh, give you the exact reasoning he had, but essentially it was that the, the cover- government spending, when the government controls the, uh, the monetary system is kind of the amount of money that the government owes itself or the, uh, the public is, is kind of irrelevant, um. That's just one way of thinking about it, right? The other way is thinking that.
1: And even if it's not, it's not going to hose you. It's going to hose your (laughs) great-grandkids. That's right. I don't even know them, (laughs) so
0: (laughs) that's their problem. Uh, Right. Uh, Yeah. uh, You know, but there are different ways that it can affect the uh, ability of economy to grow, um, as far as um, you know, interest payments have to be made. Uh, and does that uh, eat more at the amount of goods and services that can be produced or the ability that the government has to uh, regulate it if the government's um, having to make these interest payments to itself? You know, it, it's a very uh, convoluted system in my mind. Uh, that's probably because I'm not an economics major, but um, but let's talk a little bit more about different ways of regulating. So, like I said, we talked about our – the. Government in the United States, very free market, but with with regulation unquestionably. We see regulation in lots of different areas healthcare, for sure. Insurance markets are regulated. uh, Lots of different markets are regulated. uh, But generally, the United States employs capitalism, right? Free market economy. There are other governments that do a very different different approach on how to uh, organize their economies. So, let's communism is one that I believe everyone knows. Biggest communist country is uh, China. So, Tim, tell us a little bit about communism.
1: Okay, communism. So, uh, again, this is a watered down and uh, somewhat broken explanation, but whatever. Um, The idea
0: and uh, that's what we specialize in that's right watered down and broken <laughs> Drink down lemonade. that's going to be the name of our uh we're doing a merch store so that's going to be uh, the you know the, the name of this uh uh the first economics sh- you know t-shirt that we come out with
1: what if we make that the name of the biopic about
0: our lives watered down and broken that's a very up, upbeat take on uh <laughs> All right communism All right, communism sorry, go. yes so, communism
1: so Marx um, was very angry about, you know, how ruling classes were rich and stuff. And in his defense, he, uh, you know, there were lots of abuses and stuff, um, abuses and stuff. That's see, that's the kind of hard hitting descriptive <laughs> language you get on. Learn it from a lane. Uh, anyway. uh, yeah. So so his his theory in the 1800s or whenever he lived um was to take take it away, and um, uh, for the workers to rise up and take control themselves. Um, wh- what does that mean? Well, in practice, it has meant that a um, you know a revolutionarily established government of the workers um, takes control of the economy and and sets up what we call a command economy or a, a planned economy. The idea being that you don't let um, demand and supply determine um, how much of something is made, the, uh, the government uh, controls it. So the government, uh, you know, it, through whatever mechanisms it uses, determines, okay, we're going to grow this much wheat and we're going to create this much steel and we're going to produce this much, um, you know, this much fabric of, of and so forth. And then um, the government, you know, divvies it out and distributes it. The, um, the benefit of this is that the uh, government, in theory, can make sure that everyone gets an equal share. And so um, this, uh, thankfully, abolishes poverty and inequality in societies. And, and we've seen that in, in every communist country. Um, you, I hope you're noting the sarcasm here because uh, <laughs> this is not what ends up happening. Um, of course, um, all of these systems are rife with corruption. Um, unfortunately, well, two, two things happen. Well, probably more than two things, but two things that I'm aware of. One is that with, with the invisible hand absent this um, supply and demand, uh, you know, equilibrium, um, the governments fail to, um, and, and because it's impossible to determine and exactly how much of something should be produced. So what you'll see in these command economies, places like North Korea, Cuba, um, Venezuela, and so forth, is you'll see um, rampant shortages of things where not enough was produced, and so long lines. Um, the the great news is you um, don't have to pay a lot for bread; it's super cheap because the government has set a price. The bad news is there's no bread to buy um, because the <laughs> The, and and I I, I imagine that uh, I'm I'm guessing that part of the problem is when um the see a, a free market economy working at its best uh, everyone has as you mentioned I think earlier incentive to produce and to go out there because there is benefit to be gained. Um, so so a, an entrepreneur is going to go out and work extra hours to um, to produce more of a good that's in demand because they know they can make money. Um, you know, the, that um, duct tape factory in Oklahoma is going to turn on extra hours to make more duct tape to ship down to Houston because there's demand in a in a command economy that doesn't happen no one is is burning the midnight oil to produce extra stuff why should they there's no benefit to be derived from it the government is setting the price and on top of that telling them how much to make anyway so you you have gluts of certain stuff at certain times and and shortages of other things at other times um this uh, unsurprisingly the the long-term effect of this is to stunt economic growth and prosperity um no better visual of this that i can think of than to google a satellite image of north and south korea um and if you look at a a night image of north and south korea in the korean peninsula it's uh, it's breathtaking the contrast um you see south korea which is ablaze with lights as um you know urban centers have developed and then you see this kind of graveyard of darkness in north korea where there is one little pinprick of light that is pyongyang and then you know little speckles and and not much else um, North Korea, under a command economy, under a communist regime, has um, its growth has been incredibly stunted next to um, South Korea, which has prospered and flourished under a market economy.
0: Uh, so can again, we safely uh, say that you are a fan of communism. Yes, huzzah! Woo. <laughs>
1: um and, and here's here's the thing aside from strange pariah states like north korea um and to some degree i guess cuba and uh, i don't know maybe a couple of small you know nations out there uh, no one is doing communism anymore it, Everyone's given up. Russia gave up in the uh, in the 80s and 90s. China gave up in the 80s and 90s. They they were able to successfully maintain their um, their communist uh, political structure um, and 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 so forth. Um, and rhetorically, they were able to successfully transition to a market economy by um, by declaring that 30 uh, percent, uh, well, 70 percent of what Mao Zedong said was correct, and 30% was not correct. There they, they can still honor Mao, but anytime they need to do something that goes against the original doctrine, they say oh, that was the 30%. And so now they they practice communism with Chinese characteristics, which A.K.A. capitalism.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Is it, and, oh, sorry. I was just going to say there. You know, in practice, most of these systems end up mixed. Um, sure. And and a, and a quick aside, well, not a side, and a quick uh, disambiguation, I guess. So we're talking about communism. Uh, a related idea is socialism, but they're not exactly the same. My understanding sure. is socialism is the um, the communal and or social uh, uh, owning and 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 regulating of production, whereas communism is not only the you know the government controls and regulates production, it also controls and regulates consumption. Um, they're related ideas, of course, but there are slightly different ways that they are then borne out. As far as uh, in a communist country, you're not even told how much you can create. It's also you're told how much you can consume. Uh, where in socialist countries, it's just we're telling everyone how much they can, um, all the companies, how, you know, the economy, how much it can produce, what it can produce, uh, however you can consume it, however you want, which with the caveat of there's only so much to consume because the government's telling you what you can consume, so uh, or telling what can be produced.
1: Um, Here's a. Can I share a definition that I just looked up on um, some site, which is thoughtco.com? Okay. Anyways, the um, under communism, most property and economic resources are owned and controlled by the state rather than individual citizens. Under socialism all citizens share equally in economic resources as allocated by a democratically elected government. All
0: right. So uh, democratic socialism versus communism for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but, you that, my, go ahead. Oh, I was going
1: to say my favorite explanation of communism and socialism and all these, uh, market structures is the, have you ever seen the one where, um, uh, the, the, like using the example of a cow, like, um, you you know communism is a oh, m- market economy is you have a cow and someone pays you to buy the cow and then communism is you have a cow and the government takes the cow and shoots you or <laughs> 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 socialism the government takes the cow and divides it yeah, anyways it's um right i'll right. have to look right. that up
0: yeah. up yeah i've heard that one as well um but, yeah, the, the, you know, th- these these systems and these aren't the only ones, but these are the ones certainly most well-known socialism, um, uh, communism and the, the free market uh, all have advantages and disadvantages. As far as just general economy advantages, uh, history kind of well, kind, just kind of it, it does. History shows us the free market is best at producing wealth. Um However, there are, you know, there's more than just wealth and life, and so I mentioned already there are different parts of the market. So we're talking about macroeconomics, and that's the big picture. Um, microeconomics are like specific, uh, specific stores or, or specific uh, markets, specific areas. Um, that uh, that are part of the whole, right? So my local uh, mom and pop shop, if I look at you know how they do business and, and how they run their co- that's microeconomics versus the macro picture, right? Um, and so each uh, each segment of the market uh, has you know the the free market. Um, has different effects on us, right? We're all very happy to be able to pay whatever we want for uh, TV streaming or, or, uh, you know, internet services or whatever, something like that. But when it comes to something like uh, healthcare and or uh, food, you know, some things we deem as necessary, then we see uh, we, we have this desire to implement other market structures, or at least a lot of people do. Uh, And so it probably goes beyond the discussion of whether or not it should be done, the morality of such. But that uh, is beyond the scope of this podcast. However, just to bring it into the picture, as far as saying why why systems become mixed, right? Why why aren't we just fully the the economy fully open to free market? You know, there's no regulation, there's no gas tax, there's no uh, you know federal. bank that's regulating interest rates why why do all of those things exist versus just open a store and do whatever you want or you know um and that it comes from this desire to be able to um alleviate suffering to deal with uh, these um events uh, the unforeseen events and or uh disproportionate um uh distribution of of resources and wealth so All of those things kind of uh, come together and and have different weights on uh, how people feel about how how an economy is is implemented and and different market uh, forces. So let's talk about a couple more items here. Um, So Bitcoin. Uh, This is going to be then related to just generally monetary um, uh, theory. And Tim, you majored in monetary theory, right?
1: Uh, Yes, I will provide documentation shortly.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I think sometimes people wonder if we if when uh, we say these things, we have any um, particular reason for saying no. Tim has no background in monetary systems. Whatever. I use money all the time. (laughs) No, you don't. I mean, you have (laughs) way less experience with money than your average Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Not because Tim is not uh, good with money, but because Tim is angry at anyone that asks him for money. And that's come up in many podcasts in the past. So you can go back.
1: Including people I'm trying to buy stuff from.
0: (laughs) Exactly. I believe that Walmart actually still owes you a cream cheese, if I'm not mistaken. They do.
1: Yep. Or 99 cents with interest.
0: OK, back to Bitcoin. Um, so the idea, so in, uh, with the American dollar, so uh, we could go way back in the monetary history as far as when it was, uh, the dollar was backed by gold or, or silver um, and, and what the dollar stood for versus when it just became paper money backed by the government. Um,
1: now, just to clarify what Carl's talking about here. So when uh, paper currency was originally created, the paper was just a, a stand in a representation of real gold or silver um you know uh, something of value and the currency was just a representation of that value and um you know it's just easier to have bills around than to cart you know loads of gold around um and then at at some point in in the past the um, government decided to stop you know associating the two and um just print paper money unbacked by gold or, or now no longer having an an e, um, equivalent value stored away in Fort Knox or wherever right, right. And that's so what now, now.
0: right exactly and now now the value of, of the dollars related to the scarcity of a particular good like gold or silver or, or you know a precious metal it's now just related to how good our government is or, or whatever government you what your monetary The system is related to the ability your government has to produce goods and services, really, Um, and and the trust that they – that the public has in that ability. Um, So uh, that's what the dollar is, but the government can just print them, right? Uh, And as much as the government doesn't uh, undermine public trust and or – uh, hyperinflate um, the the money, meaning that there's so much money versus goods and services that that all of a sudden every I can pay ten thousand dollars for a potato because I had ten thousand um, dollars that I don't need. Um, but uh, but the idea of scarcity in monetary system is certainly one that that still I, I think uh, evokes feelings in people. You, you know, you still have this idea that there should be I should own something that's scarce, right? I should be able to um say I own this piece of, of something that has real value um, as, as assigned by kind of a, a scarcity metric um, and so that's gold still people own gold for that reason that the that people assign value to it because it's scarce um, Bitcoin is a similar idea um, I'm not going to go all into um, uh, different you know varieties of, of those coins and and ethereum and bitcoin and and uh those types of things but uh, i did want to just mention the idea that bitcoin is it has value um and well i mean there are things like dogecoin uh that it's not scarce and only has value because once again people for whatever reason assign value to it um that's that's true and you know for a lot of different things but bitcoin there there is this idea of scarcity right that people have value in this because it um There is a certain number of Bitcoin that will ever be able to exist. And so eventually all Bitcoin will be that ever can exist will exist and that will be the end of it. And therefore it will be scarce. Um, And in as much as that is a desirable thing, people know and are familiar with Bitcoin, familiar with um, the value in it and uh, the control that that is is exercised by the community versus the government um, on its value. Uh, it is therefore becoming very valuable as of late. Right, the last few years it jumped thousands of percent in value. So um, the governments are, are trying to d- figure out what to do with these types of systems, uh, as far as regulating and and figuring out how they're going to play with the economy. But uh, the the idea that the scarce monetary um, the scarcity can still uh, hold sway in monetary systems is certainly um, born out in, in Bitcoin, among other things. Tim, mm. anything to comment on that? Um, <laughs> buy at your peril. I've made a lot of money in Bitcoin, Tim. So <laughs> uh, you, I have a am sure you have. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me give you a quick uh, aside for the audience. I'm not rich, all right. So I'm I'm happy with my economic status. But um, uh, when I say a lot of money, I mean a small amount of money so um i i have invested slightly in bitcoin um but uh, but yeah just for the basics of economic podcast irrelevant of what the podcast host is saying the idea of the, of bitcoin is uh, is useful um only in as much as people value it that's the yes yeah. risk
1: and and we uh, and we see uh, these kind of um Bubbles in uh, throughout history of, of, of market economy, um, a, a few come to mind. The um, the tulip bulb craze of um, of the Netherlands, which I think happened in the when did it happen, Carl, you know, seventeen hundreds? No idea. So it was in the um, in in that time period. But um, these certain tulip bulbs would get a, a certain virus that would um, caused them to have these kind of variants you know stripes and different things and um so there weren't there were never many of them but they became very uh popular and very valuable and um it uh it, it got to a point where you could trade a, you know some bulbs for a house and and things like that um they became very highly high priced and, until eventually it popped everything plummeted in value and um um so, so anyways you when when you have things like bitcoin and I, I don't know enough to to give a a you know a nuanced analysis but it, it's something that is separate from from any you know quantifiable you know any, anything of value it, it's as carl you mentioned it, it's it's valuable because people think it's valuable because we decide it's valuable um that's a uh, a prime recipe for a a bubble and a crash and we and we've seen it you know bubble up and burst and bubble up and burst um, so who knows how many times it'll happen um and who knows whether bitcoin will will find a way to um, to uh to make itself useful as a as a currency I question whether it ever will, because its value is so darn volatile. Um, It just, um, I think one of the functions of a currency is that it's, it's of fixed value. So I can, I can buy something for $5 and, and, you know, a year from now, I can use those $5 to buy something of equal value. But if, if now my $5 is only worth $1 or whatever it, you know, so, so I, I wonder. I, I have big question marks about about uh, cryptocurrency in general, though. Though they they may find some place. i who knows. Yeah, I, the, I'm the, hedging the adoption, out my bets so I can be right no matter what.
0: <laughs> the adoption of Bitcoin and Ethereum specifically in in such in uh, apps like uh, Venmo, things like that. That uh, to me uh, establishes kind of a staying power that um, I think will will mean something. Uh, but, yeah, the idea that cryptocurrencies are certainly speculative, they're still very, very recent within the last, you know, Bitcoin, I believe, is 2009 um, uh, came about. And so we're talking about the last 12 years that these things uh, have existed. And, and just there are different ways that they get mined and created, you know, these, like I said, different numerical ways to – to to earn them and mine mine them and and how they're uh, distributed and and these ledgers that keep track of them. And um, all those things are are all very new and how those things are gonna uh, affect the economy and and what people are actually going to uh, value here in another 10 years, uh, it's unknown, but in as much as applications like Venmo, which has mass adoption across at least the United States, I'd imagine across the world, uh, in as much as those are now used as uh, ways to pay on those, uh, those uh, platforms. I think that probably is signaling some degree of acceptance, acceptance. But anyway, we've kind of uh, gone down the rabbit hole a bit further than the basic, ec- basics of economics would probably. Uh, the Bitcoin us- hole. Okay. Yep. That's it, right? <laughs> we've uh, lost. Uh, the <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, two other things I wanted to touch on before we wrap up here. So, um, like I said, there are a lot of things we could continue talking about, um, but I did want to talk about uh, depression and recession. So when we talk about the economy uh, when things are going great, we you just don't really worry about it too much. There's money in the bank at your, either your company's doing well um, or your employee can, your employer keeps paying you and giving you raises, but then something happens, right? Um, and things change, depression or recession. Um, so. We've seen recessions in our lifetime. Everyone listening to this has seen a recession because, uh, you know, we had a recession here at the beginning of uh, uh, of the pandemic where things started, uh, where things went poorly uh, briefly. Uh, so I, the difference between a recession and a dep- depression, I had to look this up because I wasn't entirely clear. A recession is just a, a short-lived depression, essentially. Recession is two quarters or more uh, of a year that that where economic uh the GDP has, has uh, contracted or uh, or stagnated. So we're no longer growing the economy, essentially. The goods and services available are, are either less or – uh, gener- it's less than they were before. Um, and so, uh, you know, people lose their jobs. Um, money is uh, not uh, as readily available. People don't lend it as much. And then the government tries to come up with reasons for you to – spend money and for, for, so they try to create an incentive. Um, you know, the idea, that idea of the free market principle, the government wants to incentivize then the, 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 the goods and services being produced. Um, so, uh, recession and, uh, but then there's a depression, right? A depression is a long, uh, prota- protracted, uh, uh, Dip in the economy, in the GDP or the economy as a whole, and so the last one that we experienced here in the United States was the Great Depression. That's the only, actually, uh, when I was reading, it was the only one that is was actually a full, protracted depression was the Great Depression, and that was in the the 1930s.
1: Um, right. So there were no depressions in the 1800s.
0: That's what I read, um, if I understood it correctly. Hmm. Uh, so uh, there were there have been many recessions, uh, but a, a multiple year long stagnation and or contraction of the of the U.S. economy uh, was only 1930s. But do fact check me on that, because I only read one article about it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, yeah, so there, there are different ways to 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 kind of try to see if a recession is coming, to kind of predict it. I guess there's a, something called a yield curve that um, that helps predict. So uh, if if your um, if your economy is uh, headed toward a recession, generally a yield curve is is, is supposed to be a positive. Um, uh, as I invest, as as interest rates come. Um, I won't be able to, to describe it particularly well, like I said, I am a, certainly a layman in this topic, but uh, essentially the yield curve flips when you go uh, towards a uh, a recession. And so when you see a, a, a negative yield curve, um, then, you know, a recession is around the corner and uh, but recessions, obviously, those, they cause lots of issues and they uh, are felt across you know from the rich all the way down to the poor and um, and they affect supply chains. They can af- they affect uh, uh, distribution and consumption. And um, so they uh, they cause a lot of issues w- 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 for everyone. Um, except the government has lots of different ways to try to get us out of re- recessions. And sometimes those uh, and that. If you have seen the movie Al- uh, the movie well, it is also a movie. But the play Alexander Hamilton. Um, have you seen Hamilton, Tim?
1: Um, I, I've seen the first part of it. Uh, my wife and I actually started watching it last week. Um, right. I've read the book um, right. that that the play was based on.
0: Yeah. What was the name of that book again? Hamilton. I don't. Is it just Hamilton? I thought that. Okay. I can't uh, remember. But
1: is, is that Hamilton and it's something? Yeah. You know? <laughs>
0: Good. We're spreading lots of useful information. Hamilton uh, documents the life of Alexander Hamilton, who was a founding father of the United States and was a big proponent of the uh, fed- the Federal Reserve, uh, the centralized bank of the United States, uh, which gives the United the federal government control over currency. And so uh, he established that um, with the George Washington's uh, blessing. And so that gave the federal government a lot of control over over obviously currency. And so, um, w- so nowadays the Fed is still around and it, uh, has meetings and it determines, oh, what is the interest rate going to be? It does uh, a number of other things, but it, it, the, well, that's one of the ways that they, uh, they can affect the, uh, the desire of people to create goods and services is lower interest rates, meaning more incentive to use your money as opposed to, Uh, bank your money because lower interest rates, meaning I'm not earning money on my money in the bank, uh, and therefore, because of inflation, I'm actually losing money. So, lower uh, lower interest means I have an incentive to go ahead and spend that money to create more goods and services to be able to bring in money that way. So, Uh, It's one of the ways that they use – one of the tools that they use in trying to get uh, get the economy out of a recession. Um, How they use it, when they use it, all of those things are open for debate, and and lots of people have different ideas. Um, But, uh, yeah, uh, inflation is something that they have to watch for. So if inflation starts going out of hand, then they have to raise interest rates because they don't want people spending money as much. Um, That's at least my layman understanding of it, Tim.
1: Yeah, um sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> no, you okay. I, I think it'd be good to like um bring up Volcker and um in inflation killing in the when when was that, seventies and eighties? Um You're making you're making things
0: up. <laughs> no uh, the, the I know what Vulcans Vulker. are. Vulker. Vulcans Vul- are in Star Trek. Oh, Vulcan. Yeah, Vulcans live
1: <laughs> live long and prosper. <laughs> no but if um if you were alive in the 70s or 80s you um I, I I wasn't well I was alive in the 80s but I wasn't economically aware but um you know in, inflation was high and Volcker that that was an example of uh, the Fed you know cranked interest rates way up um I I love the story of my parents in the mid 80s buying a house and they were excited to get a nine percent interest rate on on their home loan, um, which is pretty nuts by today's standards. Um, but yeah, the interest was way and and it actually spurred some recessions. There there were I think two or three recessions in the 70s and 80s as um, the Fed cranked the interest rate way up to combat inflation. Um, I believe it's generally considered a success by most economics. It it um, was ugly but it uh brought inflation under under um under control um but yeah okay. you, you couldn't get a loan for love or money unless you're gonna pay through the nose for it
0: i always pay through the nose <laughs> um actually that's you tim you uh you are always angry when you're paying money so um that's r- it must be <laughs> um okay well let's uh let's wrap up the podcast i guess so uh like i said i always do a quick update uh, aside from our topic on our listeners i will thank the north dakotan that has listened to us so we have many Yay. listeners yeah we she got one. we got it for for her. <laughs> um so uh across all 50 states now we did somehow we must have uh offended our the nunavutians uh none of it the uh Canadian province and the north uh, northern territories and Australia both have listened to us in the past but not recently so we need to recruit them to uh, to come back and uh, join in our uh, in our layman uh, topic um, we'll do a,
1: so. a special tailored topic for them cold places <laughs> I don't think northern <laughs>
0: Australia is a cold place
1: Oh, northern Australia oh yeah okay huh. <laughs> uh, places I've never been to mm. <laughs>
0: Uh, right, right. We do uh, we do have um, a great listener base in India, the UK, Australia, Canada, and obviously the United States. Um, so uh, go ahead and continue sharing our, our content. If you have something that you want to know uh, or something that you would like Tim to uh, stop talking about, let us know. Um, <laughs> That's right. And if you buy our merch, I will stop talking about it. <laughs> I do need to get Ooh. that merch store up. Um, <laughs> That's right.
1: Fact check, fact check. <laughs> the Long Depression was a worldwide price and economic recession beginning in 1873 and running through March of 1879 or 1896, depending on the metrics used. So it was a, a depression back in the late 1800s. So there you go. All right. Well, uh, I wasn't there, so it didn't
0: happen. <laughs> That's right. Okay, Wait,
1: because <laughs> I wasn't in none of it. Therefore, no. Nope. Yeah. Okay.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> we lost this one. Yeah, we did. That's the theme of the podcast. Quick fact check on myself from earlier in the podcast. I said that Hamilton was the father of the Fed or the Federal Reserve, which I guess in in uh, fact-checking parlance is uh, partially true, uh, I, if I want to slant it my way. Anyway, um, he uh, was um, uh, the uh, proponent and, and I could, you could say the founder, you know, he, he was the one that wanted uh, the, the, the government to pass and, and sign into law a federal bank, um, the first national bank, uh, the first federal bank of the United States, which was done under George Washington, kind of like I said, as, as you see in, in the play Hamilton. Uh, however, that uh, federal bank um, was chartered for 20 years. And when it came up for a renewal, Hamilton was already uh, dead. And so he wasn't able to lobby for its renewal and it was not renewed and so the federal bank did not that was the end of the federal bank for that period of time uh, and then didn't actually come back uh, into the government until uh, the early ni- uh, early 20th century uh, 19 uh, Woodrow Wilson was the president that signed in to law the Federal Reserve Act or something along those lines and that's when the Fed, the actual current Fed Bank um, which it just loans money to commercial banks. Um, came into to existence, and that's a little different than the, um, the first national, the, the national bank that uh, was set up under George Washington and uh, Alexander Hamilton. So um, it is uh, certainly he, uh, Alexander Hamilton, was a proponent of the national banks. He's the one that kind of uh, made that a. a uh, something that the, the government was at least open to and so not entirely false but uh, not the, the whole story i guess um all right well as far as economics go um uh, if you have any questions or any any things that we needed to uh, to clarify let us know in an email or on twitter or on facebook and uh, we'll be back again uh soon with uh when we we'll doing the basics of algebra in the not too distant future so watch for that one And if you're still looking for our 1940s uh, history podcast, um, blame Tim. I wasn't there, so. (laughs) Uh, Yes. All right. Well, um, thanks, and we will talk and see you back again for our next podcast.